the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Hello. Is this thing on? I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. I've got good news for you and bad news. Which do you want first? The good news. Okay. The good news is it looks like China and the United States are very stressed out of their minds and they're trying to figure out how to de-escalate things and maybe something comes up this week. Markets responded positively to that kind of faux good news. Because if and butts were candy and nuts, oh, what a party we'd have. If China and the United States do make friendship efforts at working together it's that if if i had a gold toilet i'd be the happiest man in the world but i don't if ifs and buts were candy and nuts oh what a party we'd have so that's the good news now you want the bad news the bad news is bad news if you're a fan of bacon U.S. could see tight supplies or even some shortages of pork bellies along with ham next year as the spread of a pig-killing disease in China ripples through the global market. Now, I personally want a senior citizen-killing disease to slide through California, get rid of some of those Prop 13 people have been here forever. But a pig-killing disease I can work with. No, I can't. Smithfield Foods, who is a big, 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 big world big producer of bacon is warning that China's hog crisis crisis hog crisis hog crisis hasn't had much impact on the US yet but that could change in 2020 as the Asian nation is forced to increase imports even more in the face of a prolonged protein deficit the chinese are insatiable in their appetite for pork the chinese are insatiable in their appetite for the nba As far as to make a statement like the Chinese are insatiable in their desire to eat pork, it's true. It sounds like I'm being kind of racist or nationalist or something going on, but I'm not. Smithfield would be prioritizing supplying its long-held U.S. customer base long before directing meat for export to China. So Americans will have our bacon, which is kind of the good news and the bad news. It may cost us a little bit more, but we'll have our bacon. Chinese buying takes off. There's some limitations to how quickly producers can ramp up supplies because it takes a while to, to build a hog. The African swine fever has killed millions of hogs in China and elsewhere in Asia. That's one thing that China loves about the United States is our farming system seems to be more pure and clean. Now, again, I'm not getting, opening that up for debate. Please send all emails to station. I really don't care. Dot com. But African swine fever has killed millions of hogs. That's crazy. 
China's pork production will probably be, be down 32 million tons or more. They're really going like no bacon. One of the most expensive parts about bacon or hogs is the pork belly needs to be stored. And electricity costs keep rising every year, so the ability to keep the pork chilled so that it doesn't get disease and bacteria in it is pretty expensive. I know you're saying, you did it, Rob. You can now end the show. You've done a story on bacon. No, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Is there another story on bacon I could do? I don't think so. Um, there is a story out there on Harley Davidson hog trying to keep the bacon theme going, but it's just not my investment play. I, I get it. If you want to own an auto that Harley Davidson kind of stands out as an American made bad, I can't say that word. Um, you're a bad, good, awesome, like, <laughs> the image of Harley Davidson is a bad boy. We need to go after investment on autos. I say it's far sexier than, say, Ford or GM, but maybe not as sexy as Tesla. And I don't own any of the any autos. Cause to me, they're just manufacturing companies. But give credit to uh, Harley; they are a brand, but a brand that the millennials really don't much care for. They're not into it, like say, people who are over 40 are into it. Economic optimism is falling for teenagers. What? Why do you care about teenagers? First and foremost, I love a good teenage movie, a good love rom-com. I know you're saying, I didn't see that coming from you, Rob. It's always great. Teenage horror movies... Unbelievably wonderful. Look, we can get jump into a running car or we can get into the shed with, with machetes. <laughs> Let's get in the shed with machetes. Love those, I think, Verizon commercials to show you how badly that uh, marketing works or doesn't work. I don't even know what commercials those are, but I love teenagers. Love them, love them, love them, love them, love them, love them. Before I get weird on this, teens this fall are estimated to spend... $2,371 per year. That's the lowest estimated annual spend for teenagers in the United States since 2011. What is going on? Another crisis emanating. Now we have the hog pork crisis in China. Two teenagers not spending enough. That seems a little low, $2,371 for average teenager. Economy was still fading back in 2011 from the 2008-2010 recession. So at that point in time, we were just starting to say, okay, we're coming out of this cold winter of spending, of, of the recession. And we, we're slowly ramped our spending up. Now we're getting back to those levels, and it's telling you that teens are maybe cautious. Back in 2011, America's teens were millennials. Now these same people are young adults, and how, are, how is their shopping holding up? Several trends always fall into place when you look at spending on teenagers. And sometimes those trends equate into lower spending or higher spending. For instance, the casualization of fashion. 
it's kind of coming down right now. So it's not high fashion, which is high cost. It's a lot. Let's go more cash. 75% of female respondents in a survey preferred an athletic brand of footwear. So think about buying Nike stock or Lululemon or Under Armour. Consultant worker advisor for taking action on any stocks ever mentioned. But there is a an aesthetic at this point in time going on with teenagers, which emphasizes a compare culture. And the mission is for companies is to try to come up with some creativity. I'm not pushing teenagers into feeling they're keeping up with the Joneses in a silly way. It's kind of a weird thing to go through. It's low maintenance. It's health conscious. Those are the things that are working really well. So a softening of spending, it may look like we're heading into recession or it may just look like a different aesthetic that teenagers are kind of calming down a little bit. Neither one's good. Less spending is less spending. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Spending drives our economy is what I'm trying to get at. We'll take a break. Be right back. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. pg in the news today. California's largest utility, which is saying quite something, considering California is the sixth largest country in the world, if you were to cut it off the United States. The California utility giant is being forced, in their words, into bankruptcy due to devastating wildfires. And they've decided how they're going to manage this season's wildfire season by cutting power to 513,000 customers in the first phase of its biggest ever intentional blackout to keep power lines from sparking more blazes. I kind of feel that PG&E is damned if they do, damned if they don't. The state won't help them out and cap how much they could be sued for if you die in one of the wildfires sparked by their equipment. So they're not getting any regulatory relief on that side. And the other side, they're saying, how about we raise rates so that we can trim more trees? California's like, well, you can only do that at a moderate rate increase. Shutdowns in Northern California began overnight as dry winds leave the region at high risk of fire. It's pretty surreal to be going through this. I don't want to use the term third world country in a negative light, but it makes California feel like a third world country knowing that electricity could go out later in the afternoon. And again, I mean no disrespect to the term third world country. It's a term I grew up with. I don't know if it's politically correct anymore or not. Shutdowns in Northern California began overnight. Um, If you take a look at the shutdown map, it's pretty large. Uh, When you look at California, of course, we have got a lot of trees in California. And you see why. The undertaking is key to PG&E's strategy for preventing another sparking deadly fire. Uh, never before have California utilities intentionally cut power to so many people for their own safety. 
this is hitting cities. Electricity will be out in cities like Oakland, Berkeley, San Francisco, and Silicon Valley. Not so much. In large part because, well, there's a lot of money to be made in California, in San Francisco, and, and uh, Silicon Valley. Unprecedented in terms of what they're facing as a community. It's interesting. The investment story of the day is Genovac. In large part, it's a play on people going out buying generators. I could talk about Roku and how they have an international opportunity when analysts are raising their price target on it, or I could talk about NVIDIA. Uh, from a company-specific catalyst perspective, they've got some growth drivers, namely in gaming and data centers. Gaming is 50% of the revenues. I could talk about all that, but I, I refuse. I feel like I almost have to talk about PG&E. Shutoffs occurring in three phases, eventually impacting 800,000-plus homes and businesses. Last phase being considered for the southernmost portions of PG&E service area impacts about 42,000 more. Pretty significant risk of fire today across California. That's an interesting phrase, a significant risk of wildfire. You don't get to say that very often. As California's climate warms and dries, the massive blackouts could become a new annual ordeal for people. Totally different, but back in 2000, 2001, we had rolling blackouts because California had a bad deal with Enron, and they couldn't charge the rates they wanted to charge, so they just cut power. And they went bankrupt because of it. Now this is basically saying the warmer, drier weather could become a new normal for shutoffs. The shutoff warning came two years after wildfires tore through Napa and Sonoma counties, where people said, why didn't you turn off the power? And now they're saying, why are you turning off the power? It's a pretty interesting day to be a Californian at the water cooler. Near Los Angeles, Edison International, Southern California Edison Utility said it was also considering cutting power to 106,000 homes. So it's not just Northern California. It's not just Southern California. San Diego said they, too, may cut power. PG&E's blackout for two days could have an economic impact as much as $2.6 billion dollars. The city's affected to warn residents to brace for six days without power. Six days without power! Within blackout zones, residents were rushing Tuesday to buy food, water, and electric generators. Almost as if a hurricane was approaching. I was talking to my producer, Z, earlier today, and I said, yeah, I was kind of raised with a lot of East Coast sensibilities. A military family never was stationed on the West Coast, so we were stationed a lot on the East Coast and international. I said, yeah, so the East Coast thinks that, you know, Californians just have earthquakes and roofs fall on your head and you die. That's what the East Coasters think. And Californians think on the East Coast, it's just the hurricanes that come and pick up your mobile home and slams into the ocean 20 miles away and you die. It's interesting how we have different views of natural disasters. For the record, I've felt maybe one and a half earthquakes in 20 years in California. I was out of state on the most recent one yet again. Stores including Rite Aid and Target across Oakland had run out of flashlights in most batteries. No one is happy. Governor Gavin Newsom, the Honorable Governor Gavin Newsom, he called PG&E's actions warranted while acknowledging the massive disruption the blackout represents. Newsom said no one's happy about it, no one's satisfied, but no one should be surprised because we have been anticipating this moment for a year. 
He says the blackout shows that PG&E finally woke up to the responsibility to keep people safe. Now, how much are we going to be moaning and groaning if we don't have power for two or three days? I'm kind of keeping my fingers crossed because my county could get hit and some of the surrounding areas could impact us. So I'm like, should I go get ice to throw in the freezer or in the fridge to keep things cooler? I, it's a pretty big economic impact. The utility that supplies water to 1.4 million residents east of San Francisco said it had station generators, pumping stations, treatment plants. But it said, conserve water just in case. In Emeryville, just across the Bay Bridge from San Francisco, the Home Depot was nearly sold out of backup generators by Tuesday morning. Um, interesting, right? You'd think that if you might have what you need, but apparently not. 800-516-1220 to each calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to each calls on the air. A little bit of fun taking us to break after the bleachers brought us in. Break here. I'll be right back. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. Target is in the news. A couple of years ago when Toys R Us went bankrupt and it was kind of a sad, sad story of how many stores were shutting down and where would that giraffe go for work? Giraffes were really only built to be toy sponsors. They weren't built to like roam the wild and eat fruits from tall trees. No, 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 no. We need Jeffrey the giraffe back at Toys R Us. So what are we going to, who's going to pick up the slack? Who's going to do it? It's Target. Target's won the toy war in the mind of people. You ask a kid today where he wants to go to pick out a toy, it's typically Target. Or Amazon. Target said last week that it'll power the website of the relaunched Toys R Us website. Shoppers head to the new Toys R Us website, hit the buy button, and they are linked with the same product page at Target. Revenue sharing agreement has not been disclosed, but somehow, some way, some shape, some form, even through bankruptcy, it's alive! Toys R Us can't be killed. Jeffrey the Giraffe is a Frankenstein of a business uh, persona. Can't kill him. So is this tie-up of Toys R Us to Target enough to move the sales needle for Target? Now, it's just a nice headline. For Target, the partnership is another feather in its cap when it comes to gaining more market share in the competitive toy space. Target cut the ribbon on its first 25 Disney shops inside of stores. Each location, each Disney location inside a Target store has about 450 items, so it's not small. So, ma'am, I want, I want the Lion King. I want the Lion King. I want a toy. I want a toy. If you want a Lion King toy, you can now likely find one in a Target under a Disney store. Keep in mind, it's going to be a big Christmas for Disney. They got the last Star Wars film and Frozen 2. I don't know. I can't get excited for Frozen 2. I love that fat little boy. Cartman, I went to Casa Bonita this weekend. That's right. I went to Casa Bonita just like Cartman. And let me tell you, it was awful. 
it's kind of like a Chuck E. Cheese. What Chuck E. Cheese is to pizza, Casa Bonita is to Mexican food, but nine times more hauntingly scary. They've got a cliff diver who comes out every 30 minutes. I know you're saying, wait, wait, there's a chlorinated pool inside of a Mexican restaurant. That's right. And the cliff diver's diving off 10 stories up? No, no, two stories up. And, again, did I mention that there's a chlorinated pool inside of a Mexican restaurant, which, mmm, the smell. There's an arcade where 50% of the games are broken. Like, everything's dilapidated in it. But that's what makes it so wonderful. Speaking of Disney and domination, finish him. Um, I think Disney should be in the news these days because, again, it's it's a big holiday season coming up. They're now starting to really integrate with their Fox brands. They're getting ready to launch Disney+. Plus. It's been a standout amongst media peers with scale. It's been a standout Disney has with strategy. It's been a standout with brand. These are all buzzwords that, that Wall Street cares about. In the rapidly changing media consumption environment, one thing will always be true. Parents will trust Disney. Within reason. Within reason. The investment spending in Disney's direct-to-consumer platforms and the choppy integration of Fox's assets lead to uncertainty for sure. But analysts are updating their estimates at this point in time. And... I think everyone kind of sees Disney as, not everyone, excuse me, the analyst community that I follow sees Disney as like a roughly $150 stock. They're not really upping it too much because the cost associated with launching a new product versus the long-term benefits, very good. You, you are very good. But every time you mention something like a Disney, you should probably mention a Netflix. And boy, they have fallen on hard times. It's almost as if no one ever talked about Disney Plus other than me, because it seems like no one saw this coming. One analyst day cuts his price target from four forty down to three forty. It's a two hundred seventy dollars stock. I see one analyst has has a two hundred sixty dollars price target on a two hundred seventy dollars stock. But next week, Netflix is scheduled to release numbers the 16th of October, so one week from today. And we'll start getting some feedback from the company, and we'll start hitting them with tough questions like, what are you going to do with a drunken sailor? No, they won't have an answer to that. But we'll say, what are you going to do about Disney Plus? Keep in mind, in theory, Netflix could cut the cost of a subscription as well. What they can't do and what Disney can do is bundle it. Disney could say, if you buy a ticket to Disneyland this year, you will get six free months of Disney+. Plus. Just like Apple is considering bundling Apple TV with Apple Music, and the music industry hates the idea because they're going to have to share their profits with basically a pretty crappy Apple TV service, which only has nine shows in the start of the year. But bundling is pretty awesome. Do you bundle your insurance? You should if you don't. I've got auto insurance with USAA, life insurance with USA, homeowners with USAA. And I get a multi-policy discount, which, trust me, that's not the only reason I'm doing it. I shop for my policies every year. In this day and age, it's easy. But Disney could bundle. What if you get the ESPN Plus streaming service with the Disney Plus streaming service 
instead of paying full price for both, you pay 75% for both. You might go, yes, yes. And Netflix doesn't, won't have an answer for that. Netflix has got volume, volume, volume. But they don't have the quality or the brand of Disney. And that's not to say that they're not getting there fast. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm done saying. I need to beat this up too much. An Ashton Kutcher-backed startup tells employees it can't make payroll. That's the problem with startups that you don't ever see. Most of them fail. Yeah, for every Google, what is there? Probably 100 startups that never go anywhere. I've seen them. I'm not going to say I've seen them all. I've seen a lot of companies fail. And sometimes the idea is pretty good, and sometimes the idea is horrific. Um, A lot tied towards redoing things that we're currently doing. Like, I've seen a lot of companies fail trying to become ticketing services or event managers. Um, But Neighborly was a startup that Ashton Kutcher backed that was trying to upend, disrupt the way we buy municipal bonds. And it was a no-go. And they couldn't make payroll. Oh, that's a problem. CEO departures are on pace for a record year this year. What's that tell you? Does that tell you we're at the end of an economic cycle that CEOs have kind of like outlasted some of their welcome? 1,160 CEO departures in the United States through 2019, the tech sector. Highest, second highest number of CEO changes this year. Um, up about 21% from last year. And we could see the... What is the word that we want to use here? We could see that the uh, poster child of this is Adam Newman from WeWork, who I told you heading up to the IPO, he creeped me out. He was taking out loans, uh, massive loans, assuming that his IPO was going to go through. And I was like, that's not good. Anything can happen. I, I, I would never take out a massive loan on my home unless I thought to myself, what if the economy goes bad? Or what if there's a a tidal wave, or what if they're like, I would I would try to think of some possibilities, right? But CEOs, success or failure starts at the top. And Adam Newman had this company called WeWork that was supposed to IPO with about a $52 billion market cap. It'll eventually IPO probably more at an $8 billion market cap. That's a pretty darn big difference. So success or failure starts at the top, whether it be a radio station, television station, whether it be a startup, whether it be, you know, how you raise your children. Success or failure starts at the top. You have to look at management. Anytime you invest in a company, there's something called an annual report. You can get it for free. The annual report will tell you who's on the board of directors. I'm not saying you should recognize names, but maybe. You know, if you see Bill Gates is on the board of directors, that's probably a good thing. If you see Stephen Gates, it's probably not a good thing. Throwing that out there for you. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. One of the big stories of the day is the Boeing 737. It's looking like January earliest. So the airlines keep pushing it off as Boeing continues to talk with world aviation agencies about, like, hey, we got our stuff together, this is what we're doing, this is what we're going to do. 
800-516-1220 get your calls on the air. Johnson & Johnson's latest legal setback, $8 billion in punitive damages to a man who said that the Risperdrol drug caused enlarged breast tissue. Oh, boy. Um, so companies are always going to be at risk of lawsuits. It's worthy of writing that one down. Understanding that there's always going to be risk in anything you buy, publicly traded. It's worthy of note. Risk is kind of out there. Chipotle stock keeps moving higher, killing the companies that are, are betting for it to go lower. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Big seminar coming up. You can learn more about it during the commercials or go to Rob Black Show or newfocusfinancial.com and punch it up. Uh, you'll learn more about the event and you can use the code radio25 to get in for free. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Welcome back again. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. I try not to talk about the nitty-gritty of politics. It's just not my thing. There's really good radio stations out there. Salem's got a couple of them that will talk about the nitty-gritty of politics ad nauseum. I just can't do it. It's just not my thing. It doesn't really fit in with the format. And also, I don't think you really care about my opinion. When it comes to investing, you care about the mistakes I've made. You care about my experience that I've gained. You care about my my philosophy for investing. I get it. Um, the political season is important, though. Wall Street's a little bit of afraid of Elizabeth Warren. Probably a lot like Wall Street was a little bit afraid of Donald Trump. The initial reaction to Trump was a stock market dump worldwide when he got elected, I think in surprise fashion. Maybe not surprise to everyone, but I don't know. So the whole Elizabeth Warren, is she bad for the economy? Is she good for the economy? And does she take a lead? Bernie Sanders had a heart condition. Maybe he slips a little bit. She picks up there. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a betting man in politics, right? I hope that makes some sense to you. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, what I will do as an investor is I'll, I'll try to study everything that I can. And, you know, I write down copious amounts of notes on my winners and my losers. Walmart's up 26% this year. Walmart's a tough company to like. Walmart was the first evil empire before Microsoft. And what I mean by that is Walmart's dominance over retailers a small and mid-size around the United States was constrictive. And when Microsoft finally hit the home run that they needed to with an operating system that went graphical, they really had a position of, to abuse power. I'm not against abusing power when it comes to talking about investments. Do I like it? No. Do I think it's the right way to do business? No. Do I think it's a reality? Yes. And sometimes it's okay. You know, between Amazon Web Services and Google, investing in both of those, you pretty much so got covered a lot of web stories. Walmart's up 26% this year. I bring that up because they're a pretty dominant company whose biggest competition is now right now Amazon. 
But Walmart's learned to throw a punch in the last couple of years. Their e-commerce comp, e-commerce abilities. I was going to say comp abilities. I was trying to like merge two words in my head. You see that I'm not a perfect broadcaster, and that's I'm cool with that. Um, but that could supercharge Walmart if they continue to figure out e-commerce. They can get a big fat valuation going like Amazon has. Walmart is by far the leader with pickup of online grocers, which especially drives, you know, you order online, you say, hey, I need a new pair of shoes, but you also are like, hey, I can pick up some groceries while I'm at it. A lot of shoppers prefer, you know, picking up groceries at the store versus home delivery. One thing I hate about home delivery is I feel tied to the home. Good thing and bad thing, right? When people are on late, it's very inconvenient. <laughs> it's just like PGE. They're damned if they do, damned if they don't. They leave the power on, and houses burn down, and we'll, we'll call them criminals, murderers. They shut off the power and make people like not get on the internet and not do work. People are going to bitch and moan, and they're going to complain, but damned if you do, damned if you don't. By the end of this year, Walmart's going to have 3,100 pickup stations. Drive up, someone places the order in your trunk. Drive away, one, two, three, no need to get out of the car. Am- uh, I'm sorry, Walmart has the parking lot spaces to do this. A couple of years ago, you know, I saw companies like Outback setting up parking spaces so that you could pick up food. And they'll, you know, you call them when you get there and they'll bring it out to you. Now it's all freaking automated, like on a beautiful, like everyone does that, right? Pickup lanes. So Walmart reports numbers on November 14th, and it's one of the more important companies that I follow. Even if I don't own the stock, it's one of the more important companies. It gives me the pulse on a lot of America, on shopping. You know, I could do a bullet shot in teenagers and say teenagers are spending 8% less today than they were eight years ago. And that would be a bad story, a bad report to talk about teen retail stores. But they don't make up the majority of, of food one of the biggest components of retail sales, right? Now, I don't do a lot of puts and calls. I don't do it on radio for sure, because I think it's it's an area that if you hear people talk about stock options, it's usually because it makes them a big fat commission. If you've got a professional relationship with a CFP, you can call someone like a trading desk at a TD Ameritrade or a Schwab or a Fidelity and say, hey, I've got a big, large position in shares of Apple, like I do, and say, I want to come up with an option strategy so that I can get some income while diversifying my holdings, which that's what options are great for. But there, a lot of people sell them like CNBC does their halftime report where like, oh, I'm one of the, I'm an options trader and you get my free book. You, all you got to do is pay postage and handling. There's a sales pitch beyond, way beyond that, and it goes pretty deep. So be cautious. So I like Walmart. They tell me a lot. I don't own Walmart because it's not sexy enough. There's not enough of a growth catalyst. I see the web services growing. I see them dominating grocers at this point in time. I see them as the same evil company that Microsoft was, and there's no shame in that. And I say that that is the same evil company Amazon is. Of They will grow at others' expenses, and they will step on people along the way. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Good luck with the power today. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.